0: Welcome to Jersey Shore, I'm Jordan from Jersey, joined as usual by... Pierce, hey guys. And tonight we're going to talk about something that Pierce has been itching to talk about for a while. Better late than never, I guess. It's it's pretty late at this point, probably about seven or eight months late, I think. But uh, we're going to be talking Pacific Rim and yep. Del Toro in general. Guillermo del Toro, not Benicio, although if you want to talk about Benicio del Toro... Hey, I don't care. I was to say we could talk a little bit about, uh, what's it called? Just people with the last name Del Toro. Well, okay, I was going to say Guardians of the Galaxy, but, you know, we could talk about whatever. I, I so do want to do a Guardians of the Galaxy episode at some point. Yeah, when Venom's finally in it. <laughs> I, I meant more for the movie uh, yeah. and talking about the Which Atlantic comes out stuff. on my birthday. Hey, yeah. Star-Lord on my birthday. So, Pierce, you saw Pacific Rim in theaters? Twice. I don't do that, so that should be a, a sign of my feelings on that movie. You hated it. I loathed it. No. Um, yeah, I saw it twice in theaters, and I think I've seen it six or seven times in total. Oh, my gosh. Well, um, oh, just because I own it, and whenever someone comes over, they see the case, they're like, I haven't seen this yet. Let's watch it. I'm like, okay. And so I haven't seen this because I lived on the planet Earth, and no one went to see it in theaters. A lot of people saw it in theaters. Mm, box office numbers would disagree with you. Some did. People saw it in theaters. Yes. Just very few of them is my point. Anyway. Internationally, though, it did really well. Although not in the countries they were expecting, if I remember correctly. Wasn't it like Japan or whatever? Or some major company or country they were expecting it to be like gangbusters. It just flopped. Well, we'll get into the breakdown of that. Okay. So that's my initial impression. And you have refused to tell me this for about a week. What's your impression? Okay, so last week, two weeks ago, my dad got it from Netflix. And so I was like, oh, hey, uh, I'll check it out because it's here. and it's And we should say DVD, right? Not the instant mm-hmm. stream? DVD, yes. yes. It's not so on, it's, it's yes. on stream. So anyone that would be like, it's on Instagram, no. No, my, my dad still has a dispaced, a dispaced account because he's in his 50s. Um, <laughs> before I say what I thought of it, I should say what I expected to okay. get out of it. Oh, uh, ex- this is killing me. Okay, come on. <laughs> Pierce is, I, This is killing Pierce, so I'm relishing the moment. So I expected to think fights, really cool, just a bunch of fights, and then interspersed in between just... I think you even said it in a previous episode, which was uh, Monster Movie Story number number 12 or whatever. Yeah. Just very generic, nothing to it, bare bones plot. And, but the rest of it is just really awesome robot fights. Which I figured I would enjoy. Not nearly enough to go actually purchase it or watch it in the theaters. But just as a, hey, that was fun, I'll never think about it again. Yeah. That's what I expected. And what I have told Pierce after watching it was not what I expected. I refuse to tell him whether that's a good thing. And it's infuriating. So infuriating. I hate secrets so much. Because I expected to be kind of in the middle of the road. Yeah. So, for the first time ever, live on uh, my iPhone's microphone, I hated Pacific Rim. Really? And I I shouldn't say hated, strongly disliked, slash just didn't care about. The robot fights were cool. Yes. The three of them that were in the movie. Maybe four or five. Some of them were very yeah. short, just snippets. I expected dumb story. Got that. Yeah. What I didn't expect was a bunch of actors I really generally like being <laughs> terrible. <laughs> with and it's connected, but on the side, possibly the most inconsistent accent work I've ever seen in a w- major motion picture. Okay, you said that, and I've watched it twice since you sent me that text. And I keep trying to figure out what the inconsistent... Um, who's the... I'm asking you an actor's name. is like doing something pointless. But um, <laughs> And I'm bad at analogies. Yes. Who plays Stryker Bell or Stringer Bell? The Stringer... Not Stringer Bell. Uh, Pentecost. Penic, uh Marshall? Marshall Pentecost. Whatever his name the, the, is. They all the have mil- dumb names. The military director. Yes. Marshall. I don't know who that is. But, but I Heimdall know. from Thor. He oh, was- is he actually... That time off in Thor. Okay, I wasn't one hundred percent sure because you know I've watched him in that in you know obviously in Thor and Luther, um, the Office season five four. I don't remember because I didn't care about the Office after like season four. He was the boss who came in when I forget what Michael had done, but he was like a replacement boss for a while, and he was in Prometheus as the captain of the ship. Yeah, that's right. Also with an inconsistent accent but not nearly as bad as this one. See, I didn't notice the inconsistent accent. I can't believe that. I cannot remember the actor's name. But anyway, generally, really like him. I still have not seen Luther. It's on my list, and it's on Netflix Instance, so I've been meaning it's to It's one of those are like, oh my word, I can't believe that just happened, kind of things, but yeah. Yeah, and I've, I will get around to it. I just haven't yet. Regardless, really like that actor. What country was he supposed <laughs> to be from? Because I know he's British. Don't yes, get me wrong. he's for, supposed to be from America. And then... For most of the movie, he's trying to do a vague American accent, which goes all across the country in pitch and tone. But then his British comes out multiple times. Sometimes where it's just that's a straight out British accent, and there's no playing. Other times he sounds Australian, in switching mid sentence half the time, where it's like. And then the main guy, whose name I'm also going to forget, but he's in Robbie. Sons of Anarchy. He, I mean, the actor. Yeah, name. I know. He's in Sons I can of give Anarchy. You the the character. He was it. in Undeclared. He has also had somewhat spotty accent work in the past, but also in this one. Not nearly as bad as Marshall. I to say, he was who I assumed you were talking about, just because his his New York accent was not as thick. Uh, If that was supposed to be New York. Or, you know, I forget what... I I think he's Australian, but wherever he's from, his accent definitely came through many, 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 many many times. And then also the uh, female lead, whose name... Isn't uh, it was Mako instead of Mako or her accent or Miss Mori, depending on yeah. Was sometimes she had one, sometimes she didn't. It was never too thick, so it wasn't that distracting, but. I like almost every act, every actor in this movie. I mean, not every actor I've seen in other things, but I like a lot of them. Many things. The only one who I didn't like fully hate by the end of this movie <laughs> was Charlie Day, who,
1: who and I was loved close. Him. I was really
0: close. I loved his character so much. Um, I love that actor, um, Charlie Kelly on "It's Always Sunny." Yeah. I like the guy who plays Owen in Torchwood, who was his counterpart. But I don't know what his role was supposed to be. Eighty-year-old man in a twenty-year-old man's body. Yeah, I thought that was pretty evident. It was the also very scholastic. Well, because they were two sides of the coin. It was the very scholastic, mathematical, and the other one was the you know hip, but really super nerdy bio whatever. But either way, just inconsistent. And I didn't think they were inconsistent at all. Well, we can feel free to disagree. Yeah, on but that. I don't think they were inconsistent. I loved Ron Perlman. Did you watch After the Credits? I did watch After the Credits. He, I thought he had some funny moments, but in general, I didn't buy any of his line deliveries at all. Really? Yeah, I mean, and I like Ron Perlman, also Sons of Anarchy. But see, I, I bought that in that it was clear he was a character supposed to be acted. Hannibal Chow is putting on an act. That I can buy, but then he was putting on a terrible acting show, and if that's his whole deal... Uh... That's, that's what I picked up, not that... Ron Perlman was acting badly, but that Hannibal Chow is supposed to just be this, you know, trying to show off and just bad at it. But he's also... He's bad at it, but he's good enough that he's, like, the major black market. Well, he also knows how to be ruthless, I mean, right. I think. But, so, yeah, the story was just even dumber than I could have expected, and the acting and line delivery. See, because I had stuff. a couple people just... even say, like... And, and granted, they were people not very well-versed in sci-fi... But be like, which is something you cannot level at me. <laughs> yes, no, absolutely. But just say, like, well, that's kind of actually inventive, that, you know, it didn't come from the stars that it was from, you know, another dimension, cracking, and you and I are both very well-versed in sci-fi, so that's nothing new to us. But for a lot of people that that's not their, you know, go-to for media, it was inventive. And so that's why I'm saying it's monster movie plot, you know, 47. Where for us, yeah, okay, that that's not anywhere new. I didn't need it to be new, though. I just needed to be slightly smarter than a box of rocks, and and it was dumber than the average box of rocks. I don't think it was. I, I strongly disagree on that one. So as opposed to coming from the stars, we've got one entry point on the yes. planet Earth. One thing in the where is it Pacific Rim? Yes, where <laughs> it's a rift or a portal or whatever they call it. I think they use a couple different the terms: breach. In the, the breach. And we know that every single one of the kaiju, the big monsters, comes through this breach. Mm -hmm. And we're racking our brains finding ways to stop these things. And none of the ones we've settled on involves building anything, be it walls, be it um, the kaiju, or the monsters, what are the robots called? Uh, Jaegers. 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 None of it involves putting them right there. Instead, we're going to station them around the world and wait for the monsters to come to us when we know there's only one place they can come in and we could just wait for them, and every time they come through, just fight them there, instead of in the middle of Hong Kong or Sydney or whatever. Well, what they were getting at is that ex- that's exactly what was happening for a while, and that after the first two, once uh, the Series 1s were finished and the Series 2 started to develop, that's exactly what was happening. It was, it was only when they first came, and it was only you know, five years after what happened initially with Gypsy Danger, that that started to happen. Because if you notice, Gypsy Danger um, intercepted them in the in the ocean ten miles off the coast. Like they right, were but it's still 10 miles off the coast. It's still we're gonna wait wait till we read one and then fly it out, get everybody ready and bring them there instead of I don't know, why don't you just build the wall and base right there at the rim and not have Where, under the, the ocean? Uh, well, you could do that. They can exist under the water. We see them do it in the movie. But also just build, I don't know, like an oil platform right there or a mile away and just have your sensors reading all the time and still waiting, instead of waiting for them to show up 10 miles offshore all across the world and then punching them a bunch of times. I I mean, I, I don't understand the problem here when that system was working until they got bigger. And the other thing is, though, like you do it in the middle of nowhere... You're going to have a a lot harder time: a, either having support; b, having the resources you need; c, being able to make the upgrades that you're going to be able to. You're also going to stop entire cities from being level. But the point is, cities weren't being level. There was like, uh, surely were. We saw it even in the flashbacks to when Mako was a little girl. Yes, that was that was the series one. That was the first couple kaiju. That is a completely different story than the, you know, up until when they started losing after Gypsy Danger. There was a good four or five year span where that was working, and the only reason it stopped working was because they got bigger. So they were intercepting them off the coast. But they didn't intercept them off the coast because it was in the middle of the city. Not in any of the fights that you saw, not in the first, excluding the first couple and the last couple. So we're going to skip the portion of the story where our heroes heroes loosely but are the people behind the scenes are making any type of smart decision and only focus on the time before and after yes because so, they they didn't know what to do then they figured out what to do and then they it started failing. No, it started failing because they were starting to get bigger, and instead of the government funneling them resources, they actually get into this in the movie, and it's usually just brushed over. And I've seen this movie way too many times. Because they want to build more. the walls instead. Well, no, because the they actually make an offhand mention that the politicians are pocketing more of the money from the wall. It's um, it was a financial thing that uh, the politicians were trying to line their pockets, as opposed to funneling and funding the program that was working and making it I, I understand that. Yeah. That was part of the movie. That's still really, really dumb. But, I mean, that's what would happen in reality, isn't it? This would not happen in reality. You can't base any of this on what would happen in reality. No, but, but the seriously. The physics of it don't even okay, work in reality. yes. The whole flying alien thing, yes, that wouldn't work. Oh, yeah. Which flaps its wings once every 45 seconds? Yes. Like, what was that? Okay, the other one shot an EMP. All right, I'm pretty sure. That was really sure. strange. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I can let go of, you know, maybe it had some magic anti-grav thing. All right, I'm all right with that because the other one shot an EMP. And that one shot acid, too. It did all the things. The acid, I thought, was actually kind of a cool maneuver. Yeah. But it was just, I expected it to be big, dumb fun, and it was big and dumb. I didn't really have any fun with it. You didn't have any fun with it, though? The The two or three big fights were fun, and then I quickly lost interest because it was just two really slow-moving things punching each other over and over again. Occasionally, they would have rockets help them punch. <laughs> yes. And actually, I don't know if you noticed this, but the Russian one... Oh, and then at the end, a sword. A sword. That was that was actually pretty neat. I was like, oh, they have a sword now. shit. <laughs> no, no, no. They had the sword the entire time and didn't use it or think about it or mention it or anything. Well, no, because they didn't get to do a full system test and it wasn't in Gypsy Danger originally. Because they decided, while we're making dumb decisions, let's add a sword. (laughs) Why not add a sword? Because the guns were having the most effective... Use every time. It's pretty short. Granted, I've only seen it once. You've seen it more times yeah. than this. But they just punch it and punch it and punch it until it stays strong, stays still long enough for them to unload a barrage of rockets <laughs> at it. So the killing blow in every situation is wait for it to stop moving and then just keep shooting it over and over. And instead, we're going to go back to swords. <laughs> no, no, no. That no, because the sword killed a lot of them. The sword killed the flying one. Only because the plot necessitated it not because it made sense or no. was smart. the sword the sword killed the one that that swam at them that was pretty pretty hardcore also the physics of that don't make any sense Why? in the slightest because simple unless it's made of crepe paper that is also submerged in water which it was okay the physics of that working and it not just pushing it over don't make any sense how would you know have you ever stabbed something in the water how i, I, I mean <laughs> have you ever swam pierce Yes. Okay, good. Uh, yes. Uh, weird question. I wasn't expecting the pause, and you have to think about it. But <laughs> the point is, it's not how physics work, above or below water. <laughs> there's still inertial forces. There's still water resistance and all these things. It was... Well, I, I don't want to slag on this movie, because normally, I wouldn't... If if it wasn't for the fact that you loved it so much yeah. and you wanted to talk about it, I would have just gone on thinking, oh, that was dumb, and never thinking about yeah. it again. But, so I, I don't like slogging on a movie, I don't like No, yeah, yeah, But this was just no, not you're right. nearly as the, fun the, as it the, should have the been. The physics didn't work in a lot of stuff. And I'm not saying... The, I'm, I'm only even pointing to the physics... Because everything else, to me, did not work. If everything else worked and the physics were crazy, like in... I'm trying to think of a good example. Like nerds, Sin City or something? Sin City or nerds often point to uh, Final Fantasy Advent Children. That I haven't played physics. that, but... See, well, or the Ruby. Ruby or Ruby. If everything yeah. else is working, then you can have fun with the physics. I don't care. But when everything else is not working, then I'm not going to give you leeway on the stuff that normally I would. If that makes sense? I can see that... You, in other words, you haven't earned it. You haven't earned the ability to play fast and loose with physics because you haven't shored up the rest of the stuff. I think that's fair. Um, let, all right, so let me, let me say this. The reason a lot... There's a, well, there's a lot of reasons a lot of different people liked it. And they are perfectly... I don't mind anyone else loving this movie. That's no, totally yeah. cool. And let me, let me break that down real quick. Like f- Feminists love this movie because it was a strong, non-sexualized lead. Female lead, you're saying yes. Which by the way, I think you referred to it as a love story in a previous mention. No, I would not even i said I said it's not a love story, okay, well, then I will agree yes. with that it they don't even kiss, and that's what I like about it is that you can say like they flirt and whatnot, it's a little creepy because when you do the math, he's like thirty and she's seventeen um it's in terms of romance levels, it's third grade crush at the highest, which I think is fair and because I it's mean, um, Anne of Green Gables smashing the slate over young Christian Bale, or who was that actor? And it's not Christian Bale. I'm getting Anne of Green Gables and the 1994 Little Women yeah, stuff. Yeah. But it's her. What was his name? Gilbert something? I don't remember. It's her smash. It's that level yeah. of romance, if you want to call it that. It, Otherwise, but see, it's and that's what I liked about it. it. It wasn't. It wasn't Man of Steel in that the city's destroyed. Let's make out now. Like, and that's one of the things I really liked about it. Oh, we just saved the world and almost died, and I just, you know, watched my father die and everything. Let's make out now. I think this is a good time for that. Like, that didn't happen, and I really appreciate it. No, because it. there was no life, love story. It just happened to be a male and female lead. Well, no, but there, there, there was that one scene where he's like, you know, I've never thought about the future, and I have really bad timing, but if we make it back from this... And then I kind of left it at that. But anyway... So, not, Like I said, there's no love story in this. There's story. no love story. Um, not that I'm saying there needs to be. I'm just saying no. And there should harp on, on it one way or the other, right. there isn't So one. internationally it did do well, and uh, that's a large portion because it wasn't, here comes America to save the day. It was... Well, yes it was. It was, here's all the Americans and an Australian, despite the fact that the Americans are played by a British guy and an Australian guy. <laughs> um, that's beside the point. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Mako was from Japan. Japan um, yes. But... In the American robot, after all the other robots have failed. Well, no, the the final two robots are um, the Australian one being piloted by an American, Australian and American, right? But being... and then the lead one lead is an American, yes, and the other one's Japanese. I, I, and then I'm just saying it's not nearly as. And then, yeah, I understand, but there was also the Russians, and the... which, by the way, every culture was stereotyped to. I mean, it might have been. It might as well have been Ivan Drago (laughs) piloting the Russian ship. Like, yes, everyone's represented, but not in a way that I would consider favorably to anyone. They're just, oh, Russian. um, Give them some vodka. That's our characters. Well, it's not even they have vodka. They have the weirdest hair. But I mean, granted, they even say like. Yeah, they've been patrolling the edges of Siberia for six years. Like, they've kind of gone insane a little bit. So, I mean, I'm, I, I get that. Although, the, the one thing I didn't like was the Russian robot in that, how their helmets made it look like they had dreadlocks, and it always threw me off each time I watched it. I don't remember um, the helmets. I just remember the robot looking like Chernobyl, which seemed really it insensitive. Did. It did, which was hilarious. And they talk about how the Russians, se- yeah, the Russians would be like our robot being built to look like the Twin Towers, <laughs> and not no, not a one to one. I mean, or Three Mile Island. Yeah. Let's say, I'd as, say as closer, not even that close, but just they're at least both nuclear reactors. Yeah, um, that was strange. Yeah, that was that. But I mean, yeah, that was a lot, and it looked very like toy robot but I think that was the point because it's a series one. Yeah, the, the Chinese, I wouldn't say they were super stereotyped. Uh, a lot of people liked their robot best, actually. I know Kevin... That was the three-armed one, right? That was the, yeah, the thundercloud formation with the turnable legs, too. So, I mean, that's another reason that, why they liked it internationally. Yeah, those robots died. Okay, fine, whatever. But, I mean, it was... It's a collection of all the countries coming together, stuff like that. And then a lot of people said that this is what Transformers should have been. <laughs> I liked Transformers way more than this. Seriously? And I Seriously. I, I didn't say I loved any of the Transformers okay. movies, although I didn't actually... I liked elements of the first one and the third one quite a bit. The second one was a mess. I didn't even bother seeing the third one, because I hated the first two so I liked the third one quite a bit, but it was just... None of them are great movies, but it, at least when Transformers is dumb, it's at least mostly intentional. Uh, and partly racist, but, you know, whatever. Well, that's mostly the second one, which I, like I said, I don't like at all. And uh, discounting Jazz. Jazz was just a weird one-scene thing where it was like, okay. Um, but, in, in the first one. That, and that's gotta be my favorite robot chicken sketch, though. Where it's it's post-movie and the, it's the Autobot saying, guys, we did it, but let's remember poor Jazz, who died. And then Jazz crawls over and goes, hey guys, I'm a robot, so yeah, I got ripped in half, but I'm perfectly fine, because we're robots and we don't die like that. And... Optimus is like, no, no, you're dead. We we totally lost you. You're dead. Go away now. And they just drive away, and is like, I'm coming. And then he half transforms into the front half of the car and just kind of veers off into a building. But anyway, continue. So, but I mean, at least that has characters, again, not the world's greatest characters, but at least they have a, a dimension to them. No, they don't more than anything in Pacific Rim did. I I strongly disagree. You want to tell me Megan Fox had more of a dimension as a character no, in that movie? I'm saying some of the characters at least had dimension. And she had a little bit, not too much. But, great, I'm not saying they're three-dimensional. I'm saying they have some dimension, which I, is more than Pacific Rim. That's all I'm saying. I'm, again, these are not competing for best movie in the world. They're just competing no. against each other in, no. in this particular discussion. But, alright, so even beyond the actor portion, the reason people say that is because the action sequences. The action sequences in Transformers were constant non-stop different angle, cut, 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 explosion, cut, explosion, cut, cut, explosion. And that's all it was. And what people are saying about Pacific Rim is that you could very, in Pacific Rim you could very clearly see the nothing that was happening. What do you mean the nothing that was happening? You could clearly see the very slow punching. Very clearly. Except in the rain, which happened constantly. What? Okay, well, I mean... At least most of the Transformers fights take place in the daytime. And that is one thing. I do wish it, it had happened in the day. But the other thing was the color scheme of the movie, which they really brought out and would have been brought out which as much. Which was all of the colors as bright as possible. Yes, it was neon. Neon everywhere. <laughs> Except the robots, which are all the colors as dull as possible. Yeah, no. Gypsy was pretty blue. But other than that, it was also, a very faded blue. Although I guess they do repaint it. Lately, yeah, and Crimson Typhoon was, was bright red. But, but in the rain, it just looks yeah. maroon. Yeah, But, uh, no, it was... It was them actually fighting, though. It was what a fight would look like between two giant things. You know, and, and I've watched a lot of monster movies, and if you know, if you want a lot of nothing happening, watch the Godzilla movies. Have you seen the trailer for the new Godzilla yet, by the way? Yes. That looks cool, and I'm not I'm, a Godzilla fan, but that looks really cool. Yeah, and, and see, so here's... And I want to bring this back to the monster movie thing. There's kind of two rules of monster movies. And, well, I should say there's two paths you take. It's the Cloverfield path of you don't show the monster, like, hardly at all. Right. Or you show the monster non-stop in every single scene. And that... And chose the middle. Uh, yeah, th- you're right, but... Like, they don't hide the monster. It's not no. like, or I would say Transformers does this, where even in the fight scenes, like, when the monster's present, you didn't see, or when the villain's present in Transformers, you don't really see the villain because they were too busy cutting through all the explosions and people jumping around and all that different stuff. Like, this, like, when there was a villain on the screen, you saw it the entire time. You know, except for, like, the cut to Charlie Day underground or when it went behind. But, like, you watched it, and that's that's what I liked about it, where it followed that rule of... You either don't show it, and it's the mystery aspect, or you show it, and, like, it, you know, you have the fights and all that. So, I get you that you hated it, but, yeah. So, you hated that. Let's. I guess we're going to transition or this. Or at least, disliked it, slash, did not care at all about it. I, okay. I still don't know that I'd give it, like, a full-blown hate, because it, it I just don't feel strongly enough about it to, to hate it. Okay. Um, except as a counterpoint to you, because that's the only way that this yeah. discussion is, in the least bit, interesting. Um <laughs> Not the. I mean, it would yeah. just not no, be interesting yeah. if it's just you going. I loved it and you going, eh? Yeah. You know, but so all right. So, but let's transition here. You've seen a couple of his films, not all of them, but you've Guillermo seen del Toro. Yes, Guillermo the Toro. both Hellboy films. Yep. Which did nothing for me, and I've seen Pan's Labyrinth, which I liked quite a bit. Okay. And I should also say I've heard several audio interviews with El Toro, um, mostly by what you could names, understand was probably very good, which were really good. Like yeah. I think the guy himself is very smart, yes. I like the way he thinks, I like the way he looks at things. I just don't generally, in in three of the four movies I've seen, care. Okay. Like I like his thought process, I like the way he looks at things. It's just when that when that thought process and the way he looks at things are translated onto the big screen, story wise, for the most part, I just it does nothing for me. Visually very interesting. The, the Monsters in Pan's Labyrinth, Many, many, not all of the monsters in Hellboy, um, more in Hellboy two. I was about to say Hellboy more. two was a lot more fleshed out. Than that. The kaiju, yeah, you see them clearly, but I wish they they had shown more of the kaiju. Um, like I, I like the acid thing because that was at least something interesting. Yeah. Otherwise, they were just big generic. And the EMP, I mean, um, there were a couple different things. But at it, least it, it was doing something different visually. It actually did a Cloverfield thing, which is where it, you know it. Bulged out part of its yeah. neck, and I was like, "Oh, cool." So yeah, those didn't really impress me. Uh, the, again, the, the the designs of the Jaegers were somewhat cool and somewhat really kind of head really? scratchers, like, like the Chernobyl head type thing. Yeah, where you're like, really? That's what you're going with? I, I appreciate his use of practical effects, like the way he, the I've seen how they built, like the Jaeger. Tw- I was about um, to say every one of those rooms was the cockpit really or whatever. Built, yeah, that is really impressive. Yeah. I just, when it's translated to celluloid, or digital in this case, story-wise, except for Pan's Labyrinth, I go, yeah, but I don't care. And unfortunately, that's one of the downsides with Del Toro. He loves to create real sets. So, in Hellboy, do you remember the Troll Market? Yeah, oh yeah. Is that in one or two? Two. Yeah, I was going to say, I thought it was two.
1: So basically... His cantina
0: scene. So what ended up happening with uh, Del Toro is, he did his older movies, so you have... Chronos and Mimic, which I haven't seen yet, but I want to. Then you have, I think Blade Two came next. Then you have Hellboy, which unfortunately was a flop. Then you, he ended up doing Pan's Labyrinth, which I think launched in Spain, and which makes sense because it's about the Spanish Civil War. Yeah, exactly. And I know that was definitely a critical hit. I don't know financially yes. how well it did, although probably on DVD. I believe good. it was a mix at, at, because I was actually in college at the time. I went to a very conservative college, and you weren't allowed to watch R-rated movies. That's right. It is rated R, isn't it? Yeah, because oh yeah, so violent, especially the torture scene. Right, right, right. Um, The funny thing is, I think of it as a children's movie, even though it totally isn't. And that's that's one of the the beauty of it. it, And that's one of his style things I'll I'll talk about. But like, the point was that my school actually allowed a viewing of it in our theater. Uh, So, which was pretty cool, was that that was allowed because it was so critically acclaimed and all that. And people were like, "Hey." We can trust you with films, and so they let him make Hellboy 2, but unfortunately that flopped as well. Unfortunately, because I, I just think people don't care about Hellboy. That's totally yeah. what it is. Yeah, I love him as a character, I love you know Magnolia and all that stuff, the guy who writes the Hellboy comic. But just in general, no one really cared about it. So then he did Pacific Rim, and it was so popular, they're already, talking, they're already working on the second one. My point with all that being, the troll market, like I was saying, if you watch the special features... He made an entire functioning market. Everything in that market... He made alleyways and roads in that that never got filmed once. He made entire stores filled with things that never... You don't see any of it, but it fully existed for a day or however long they were filming of people just going about business in this market. Like, it was an entire complex... It was an entire complex... Uh, that was the troll market for a couple days. It was very intense, but you don't see any of it, and unfortunately a lot of that doesn't translate into the film. Like, he's really big on that stuff, but the artistic side of it gets lost a lot because different reasons for different films. In, In many ways, I think you could draw, and this could make some people angry, but I don't mean it to, you could draw some very strong lines between him and a George Lucas in... George Lucas is great in, particularly not with the digital side, but with creating these worlds, creating these aliens, creating the look of it, having very specific opinions about how everything should look and function. But when it comes to story, he's very hit or miss, particularly in his later years. And when it comes to directing actors, the average donkey could do it slightly better. Okay. So, And I don't want to say that one, such a strong line to Del Toro, except after seeing Pacific Rim, where I was like, I love all these actors, what is happening? to them in this movie. But, because like, Pants Labrath, I wouldn't say the same thing. I also wouldn't say the same thing in Hellboy. I think, even though I didn't care, I thought the actors did a fine job. See, in that's those, the thing. I think everyone in Hellboy 2 did a fantastic job, but it's getting people to actually care about Hellboy is the problem there. Right, yes. Um, <laughs> like, <laughs> I think I think the the two elf characters did a fantastic job in that movie. Uh, i got to say, that's my favorite piece of commentary of all time. I was watching Hellboy 2 with the commentary on, and the Prince Nuala character was one of the guys... Uh, and he has a very thick accent, I'm not sure where he's from, but... I forget. It was a couple of them chatting, did you go to the premiere? And he goes, yeah, I did, but none of the red carpet. I went to a small theater, and it was sold out. And I had to sit in the on like the row, and, on the steps. And I got kicked out of my own movie, because there was too many people in it. I was like, oh, that was very amusing. But, um, so my point was, they did a very good job. Ron Perlman was Ron Perlman. I mean, you expect what you expect from him. Um, but yeah, unfortunately... I can see what you're saying with the George Lucas thing. I think Del Toro is more about the art in it. And a lot more... I would just say, in for both of them, and painting with a broad brush, it's, in many ways, style over substance. The look, the world, the backstory, the whatever yeah. is there... It's just, in all too many cases, nothing interesting is being done with it. I can see Or nothing that, interesting enough. That's, not enough that's what interesting I was saying. Like, I think that was definitely there in Hellboy. Like If you cared enough about Hellboy, there was a lot in that movie. And a lot, especially with the whole uh, Life Elemental or the Golden Army itself and look of all that. And that control room and everything. I thought that was all really well done. Uh, Or that opening scene with the Elf King, the prince's dad and everything. I thought that was all really well done. Or the marionette thing in the beginning. But Um, you have to care about those characters, which is great if you love Hellboy and went into these movies going, oh, I can't wait to see a Hellboy movie. Or it's great if you love the original Star Wars trilogy or the Star Wars characters in general and went, oh, I love this world, this universe. I want to see more of it. But the problem becomes, oh, I don't care about Hayden Christensen's adding." Skywalker, I don't care about the characters in Pacific Rim, I don't care about, like, Hellboy did not make me care about Hellboy the same way that the prequel trilogy, for the most part, did not make me care about Anakin Skywalker. That's true. And... Oh well, you didn't get <laughs> choked up to, at the end of six, seeing uh, Anakin there instead of whoever, whatever. Actually, oh, in the in the the, in the, the, the special edition. Or whatever. Oh, that doesn't bother me. But um, Sebastian Shaw. If you're going to be mad about something, you should at least know who, why you're mad. Um. Although I did, I was just uh, rewatching six because they had it on for whatever Christmas thing they were showing it all day, and the stuff they edited in a lot of it did make me kind of angry, like. How on Coruscant, everyone's celebrating because they magically know that the entire empire's dead even though it's not. Like, that really bugged me. All that stuff, but... But it brings me to something I wanted to say earlier when we were talking Transformers, which is, I go into it going, yeah, even if the story isn't the best story or even if the acting isn't the best acting or whatever, and I don't even think they're that bad in the Transformers movies, they're just not anything to you know write home about, I at least go in caring about Optimus and Bumblebee and... Jazz and Megatron and StarStream and, and all the others. So it's got that built-in thing. But even if it didn't, I think it does a good enough job, and it clearly has with mass audiences, to get people to care about those characters, yeah. whether you do or not. And I'm not saying you should or shouldn't. I don't, I don't care. Whereas Pacific Rim or Hellboy haven't. They haven't made people who went who just you know, got around to see it. And I'm sure there's some exceptions out yeah. there. But... You don't care about those characters, you know, unless you went in knowing Hellboy. Whereas, with yes, if you went in knowing the Transformers, you still like the Transformers characters, unless you're, you know, you know. There's a significant amount of loud internet people who don't like how they portrayed Bumblebee or whatever. I don't care. But the point is, it still made mass audiences care about Bumblebee and Optimus and all these things, which Pacific Rim and Hellboy didn't. Yeah. And that's not to say that makes Michael Bay a better director than he's not. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying there's something missing there. That yeah. you need you need both style and substance. And for whatever reason, I don't feel that he can convey that substance with the exception of Pacific Rim and maybe Mimic and what was the other one called? Because I haven't seen those. Well, those those are also artistic films. Like, those, I believe, are both Criterion Collection films. Right. So, I mean, it's it's very much more the artsy side. Which of it. means they're probably on Hulu Plus, which means I should be able to access oh, them. Oh, really? I do yeah. not know. Okay. If they are, let me know, because I, um, I know they have, like, the seven-day free trial. and That would be cool to be able to watch this for free. Um, the other the other thing I really appreciate about De Toro and I, I got a book called, I think it's, what was it, Cabinet Curiosities for Christmas? I don't remember. It was a cool book. Yeah, and it's just a collection of his notes and a lot of pictures from his house, which is slightly horrifying of a house. He has a full, like, life-size wax sculpture of uh, H.P. Lovecraft posed in front of his bookshelf. It's kind of creepy. In his study, he has a full-size Frankenstein model in a barber chair being shaved by some creepy-looking dude. Like, it's all very odd. It's so weird, but he has, like, a seven-year-old daughter, and I can't imagine she ever has sleepovers there, ever. (laughs) Like, I can't imagine her and a group of friends being like, let's have a sleepover, not at her house. It's really kind of creepy, but in some ways it's cool. It's nice because the book goes through, like, his influences, and he's big on Lovecraft, and I have... (laughs) No, really? (laughs) Yeah, I know, right? Um, I have the completed works of Lovecraft a couple times over, and so it's one of those things where I get a lot of his influences, and so in watching his films, I see a lot of that. And you were talking about the whole kind of childlike thing, because you mentioned the, you picture Pan's Labyrinth as like uh, a children's movie. Oh, I see what you mean, yes. But it's not, and that's kind of one of his things, where it's all very children's fantasy, but not at the same time. You could describe Lock and Key, the comic series, that way. Exactly, which I still haven't read the last one. It's the best haunted house story you could have imagined as a kid, but designed for For adults. adults. Exactly, and that's very much Del Toro's thing. Unfortunately, there's not a huge market for that, at least not in the way he portrays it, except for, like, Ben's Labyrinth, stuff like that. So, We'll see with whatever the next movie is. And what do you think it is about Pan's Labyrinth that allowed it to connect with with mass audiences, or at least with people like me? Because, I mean, the only thing I can guess is, he I don't want to say he had to work for it, but, okay, Hellboy, either you're a Hellboy fan or you're not, yeah. and it didn't do anything to change that. Pacific Rim, either you're a fan of giant monster movies or you're not, and it didn't really do anything to change that. Whereas, I don't think Spanish Civil War... Fantasy movies are a genre, is broadly speaking. Ex- but ex- exactly that, it's not a genre. So he had to, he had to create it, and he had to. He couldn't rely. Maybe that's a, it, it. Does he rely too much on? If you love X, see Y that I just built, In the other things. Whereas in that one, he had to be. He had to ground up everything, is his design and. <sighs> I think his story. His I world. think it's just. Not as much that, but just because it's not bottlenecked. Well, there's no crutches. There's nothing he can just lean on and go, "Oh, but you know, people will get this because they've seen." So, that, uh, no. so th- don't think yeah. of it like you're talking. He had to build it from a ground up. I just mean both style and substance. I, could, agree, I agree. The, but I agree. Everything had to be. I made. think, like, Aside like the, from the Spanish Civil War, War. I don't think he was the cause well, of the Spanish the, Civil I, War. anyway. I think the Hellboy movies had substance, but people just didn't care. So I think, and we won't include Pacific Rim because we very much disagree on that, but I think you can look at the two Hellboys and Penned Labyrinth and say, these all have substance, but they slapped a sticker on the face of Hellboy of something that no one's going to care about. Even if you know who Hellboy is, if you don't care, you're not going to get invested. But anyone can get invested in this small child who's going through this whole thing. But... I, I understand what you're saying. And, and I will say, Pan's Labyrinth is just a better movie. Oh, than both hands down. But it also goes for a different thing. And I think, and I've yet to see Mimic or *Chronos*. like I said, but, I mean, they're obviously critically acclaimed where there wouldn't be Criterion collection. And I think when he doesn't go f- for humor, I think that's the other side of it. Because there isn't really no humor in Pan's Labyrinth at all. Not really, no. I mean, there's kind of small amusements, but for the most part, it's serious. And I think when he goes for serious, it's very different when he goes for comedy in any way. Because Pacific Rim also had that comedy aspect. I think it's What? Oh, I guess with, with Charlie Day. A Charlie bit. Day's whole thing, uh, yeah, all of Ron Perlman, all of that was definitely a comedic side to it. And If you say so. Well, but see, that's I'm being thing. sarcastic. I know, I, know that's sarcastic. I, I know you are, but that's the thing. It's very stylized. It's very campy, but you also have to like that, and I personally do. I like that campy. It's fine, yeah. That's yeah, cool. but what I'm saying, when he's serious, I think he, it shines a lot more than when he's not, when he's trying to be comedic. I don't want to say he's not good at it, but he just has such a uh, stylized humor that doesn't come across as same. So do we have anything else to say about Pacific Rim or Guillermo del Toro? No, but I'm surprised we had that much to say about del Toro in general. I I think it was great. It was actually a really fun discussion. Yeah. Um, I think that'll be it for this week's episode of Jersey Shore. I'm Jordan from Jersey. I'm Pierce from Jersey. Have a good week, everybody. Thanks for listening to Jersey Shore. You can contact us at jordan at legionofdudes.com. That's J-O-R-D-A-N at legionofdudes.com. Or follow me on Twitter at jordanfrmjersey.